Hour two of the rush kicks off right now. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson, no Tyler McComas here today. I am holding things down in his stead, Travis, as always, on Wednesdays at least, joining from Tulsa. Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line is available to you at 405-651-3439 if you want to chime in. Man, Travis, that top of the hour hit and I was feeling so good. I was like, here we go, one hour left. Home stretches inside, then I realized, oh, shoot, I'm doing four hours today instead of three. So yeah, we man. we got a lot of ground yet to cover. But you you want to know what my plans are after we get off the air? You'll love this. Oh, no. What's uh, what's going on? I'm making some Cajun pasta. Really? Yes. Yes. See, the thing is, my wife is not a shrimp person. So one of my staples over the years has been this Cajun shrimp pasta recipe that I love. But, of course, I can't make it any, anymore because my wife won't eat shrimp. But uh, she is in Guam right now on a military exercise. And so I am cooking for one this month as opposed to for two. So the Cajun pasta makes a return. I'm quite excited. Nice. Nice. I did some pasta last night. Well, some rice noodles last night uh, um, with some uh, chili oil and salmon and veggies it uh, hit the spot as well i'm big pasta guy big pasta guy so you enjoy that cajun shrimp pasta i'm looking forward to uh maybe a picture of it <laughs> i'll see what i can do and it uh and those uh those nudes i want you to send are n-o-o-d-s ah those nudes yes <laughs> yes send nudes oh i will do my best to make sure you get the nudes uh sooner co wetzel <laughs> says crawdads trust me you should try them. yeah crawdads man or i guess i call them crawfish but throwing those into cajun pasta is a game changer i'm not doing it tonight but i have done so on occasion in the past uh yeah that's big time yeah absolutely and and i want to you know jump in uh back into the knippelmeyer chevrolet text line just real quick as we kind of put a bow on things um sooner juts from the 918 says just wanted y'all to know that you're doing a great job explaining all the ins and outs of nil i for one am not very savvy on this topic so i'm really enjoying this thanks guys and absolutely thank you sooner juts for um not only listening but interacting uh, on the knippelmeyer chevrolet text line i think that's part of the problem is the just the simple education and the understanding of it parker it's that that's why you had Jason on on the OU Insider uh, uh, podcast. That's that's why we talk. That's why we've essentially spent two hours talking about it. Right? Is the ins and outs, and can it be performance based, and who can pay, who can't pay, this, that, and the other. So um, the next text I wanted to get to is uh, our most recent one uh, from the four hundred five. I bet donor fatigue goes away if we lose to Missouri and Ole Miss. <laughs> And the reason I thought that was so funny is because you've seen that happen in real time in a place called Columbus, Ohio. Ooh. Ohio State has spent more money, more money on this transfer portal class than I think anybody, but nobody's talking about them because Ohio State always wins. Like they're they're a they're a they're a blue blood. Like they're a year in, year out, ten win team. Like and so they've spent I mean, Caleb Downs. He was not cheap. Quinshawn Judkins, he was not cheap. Uh, a lot of these guys, not cheap at all. They've got, I think, two top seven, like the number one and number two corners in the uh, in the 2025 class already committed. They've got Julian Sayan from Alabama that went to Ohio State. That's because Michigan 
shoved them in a locker <laughs> three years in a row, and then won a national title. So, 405, I'm not sure donor fatigue goes away if we lose to Missouri and Ole Miss, but I'll bet you if we lose three straight to Texas and Texas wins a national championship, I think that would be what does it. What do you think, Parker? I mean, think about the foundation of the pancake factory down in Austin, right? That mm-hmm. came immediately on the heels of Oklahoma winning three of the most memorable games in the history of that rivalry series in the span of four years. The Red River rematch in 2018, the quadruple overtime COVID classic in 2020, and then, of course, the Caleb Williams game in 2021. Yes, losing to your rival, that is a real easy way to get rid of donor fatigue. So if donor fatigue is something you worry about at Oklahoma, well, as as unenviable as it sounds maybe the solution is losing to texas nobody wants to hear that do they hey that's that's what that's what pushed ohio state over the ledge they're spending like never before so i i personally think we should just stick with the way we're doing it and we should just get in texas's way a couple times but uh lot lots of stuff to talk about i know we spent the last couple hours on kind of the NIL conversation, touched on recruiting a bit, but I have not been on air since the Toby Keith um, news came out. Um, Obviously, uh, words have been spilled, ink has been spilled across social media, newspapers, TV, everything like that. Um, He was larger than life there's no doubt about it i shared it on my twitter that i was able to spend some time with him one evening after the women's college world series game one uh in a kind of a small private setting and parker he he recognized me by grill boy i uh i went to introduce myself look at that oh travis grill boy have a seat and we sat and talked about football the depth chart professional softball he wanted to he was he was working to start a professional softball team uh, and was, was looking at locations and this, that, and the other, like things like that. He was still really invested in it. He wasn't a guy that was going to these sporting events because he knew he'd end up on camera. He was going to it because he loved supporting them. We see him at OU hockey, get pictures of him at OU hockey games. He's obviously basketball games, uh, softball, everything. So obviously he will be missed. Um, if you have that Stephen Colbert clip, um, I do. Handy. I would love. It's a little bit long. It's three minutes. But much of the conversation around Toby, who was very opinionated, is is very toxic. Very toxic. A lot of people choosing to use their political beliefs to dance on his grave. Um, Which is sickening. It's like, disgusting. Um, and that's not exclusive to this case either. People who do that no. in general, there's no place for that. Correct. And... So with that, I think it's important to play this clip because it it really boils down to it. It's political beliefs can be whatever. They can be complete opposite. They can be, like, vehemently opposite. But you get some of these people in the same room, and we're all just – it's the human experience, man. So, Parker, you got that queued up? I do. Let's hear from Stephen Colbert on his good friend, Toby Keith. Uh, Last night, we lost one of the greats. Country music legend Toby Keith passed away at the age of 62. Now, I was shocked, 
and saddened. But when I saw the news this morning, I knew Toby was ill. I mean, he'd been fighting stomach cancer for some time, but I still had hope that we'd see each other again and that we would hear him on the stage. Because I was lucky enough to become friends with Toby over the years, as improbable as that seems. We met very early on on the Colbert Report. And back then, there was a not-so-helpful legend that I had knives out for some of my guests. And it didn't help that at the beginning, I sometimes did. And I remember having some kind of plan for Toby, I think related to his boot-in-your-ass song. But right before I went on stage, I remember vividly looking down at my shoes and saying, what are you doing? You're a host. He's your guest. Make him feel welcome. See who he is. And what do you know? We hit it off like a house of fire. I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed talking to Toby Keith. And evidently, Toby had a good time, too, because after the show, I was headed to a post-mortem meeting, and he was coming out of his green room, and those rooms were on the same hallway. And as he was heading for the door that goes out on 54th Street, he turned and caught my eye and said, Hey, man, you do a great job. Whatever the f it is you do. <laughs> And I took that as the greatest compliment, so much so that my, my then head writer, Allison Silverman, uh, for Christmas, had that stitched on a pillow for me. And... It, it has been in my office ever since. That day, Toby taught me not to prejudge a guest and to have my intention, but to keep my eyes open to the reality of who they are. And for that lesson, and for a lot of other things, I'm always going to be grateful. This is a man who rose from Oklahoma's oil fields, where he worked on a rig, and the state's football fields, where he was a semi-professional defensive end, to become one of the most consistent hit makers in country music for more than three decades. 20 Billboard number one songs, 42 top 10 hits, and rooms full of platinum and gold albums. Toby was a great performer, unapologetically patriotic, opinionated, brash, often controversial, but resonating with legions of fans by writing their lives in a very real and entertaining way. So we had him on a lot. He was always fun. He was in my, my Christmas special back in 2008. Uh, we had him on this show where he gave me that guitar you see right there, which my son now plays, and I hope he'll think of Toby when he does it. One of my greatest honors was when I was asked to induct Toby into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, where I got to sing as good as I once was a song I used to listen to every night before going on stage. I think he enjoyed how unlikely a pair we seemed. I sure did. You know, like, when, when people are excited when a duck and a horse are friends? <laughs> well, for the record, I was the duck. <laughs> but Toby was always surprising people. You would think you, you know who Toby Keith was, and then you're watching Obama's Nobel acceptance speech, and there's Toby Keith giving him a standing ovation. Toby, what are you doing this time? Toby taught me not to judge people too quickly. And with his passing, I'm gonna try to remember that again. It's something we all need to remember, because I'm sure Toby and I disagreed about many things, as so many Americans do these days. More and more of us are angrier and angrier with each other. But tonight, I will issue this invitation to anybody. I do not care who you are. I will meet you at this place I will meet you at being brokenhearted that Toby Keith is gone. Thank you, big dog. Yeah, that uh, well said by Stephen Colbert. Uh, and I think that, I think that's a really important clip. And it's, 
it's unfortunate because, like you said, all over social media, it's, you know, it's it's political this, political that. It's just vitriol and, and you know, just shock and awe. Uh, it's, it's really, it's really frustrating. So when I, when I heard that clip this, this morning, I was like, you know what, given the opportunity, let's play it, uh, you know, in one of our hours of the rush and remember that, you know, that's kind of, Toby Keith was a great example of that. Wasn't care what, what side of the aisle you were on, uh, where you were from, what your, what your W2 said from the year before, uh, just. He gave gave you a chance. He talked to you like a normal human being because that's what he considered himself. So, uh, just wanted to since I wasn't on air yesterday, wanted to 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 say a little something about it and bring that clip up. Yeah, we can all take a lesson from the anecdote that Stephen Colbert shared about Toby Keith, and we can all take a lesson from Toby Keith himself, no doubt about it. A great Oklahoman. The rush continues next. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson here with you. On the home of Sooner fans, stay right here. It is the rush here on the ref, the home of Sooner fans, Parker Thune and Travis Davidson on a Wednesday. Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line is 405-651-3439 if you are so inclined as to chime in. And in response to that anecdote that we played uh, from Stephen Colbert on his friend Toby Keith. Lindsay here in Oklahoma chimed in on the text line and said, I'm the most cynical person on politics in this country. Hearing the Stephen Colbert-Toby Keith story melted my frozen heart. If we didn't have any strangers, we would have a lot more hope and kindness. And Nick, also here in the 405, says, That clip brought a tear to my eyes, not just because of the loss of TK, but that it reminded me how it takes the loss of people to bring people from the left and the right to the middle of the aisle, but it doesn't stay that way. I sure will miss those patriotic songs from TK. R.I.P. Toby Keith. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I wouldn't be, like, I wouldn't be shocked if it happened, and I would actually kind of be disappointed if it happened, but that seat that they put the guitar and the red solo cup in front of, as far as I'm concerned, Parker, like, nobody should sit in that seat again. Put a red solo cup there or whatever you want to put there. You could put something nicer. You could box it in. You could whatever you want to do, do that because I think that too many times people pass and everybody shares nice stories about them. But then a couple years go by, maybe even, you know, a couple weeks, and it's on to the next thing. It's on to the next you know, big thing in the news, it's on to the next, you know, recruit, it's on to the next uh, game, it's on to the next whatever, right? So in addition to, I think, working some of his music into maybe like the third quarter, end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter break, I think that's a good idea. I think you could do some other things. I'm sure there's probably a, a, a field or, you know, arena or section or something that will be named uh, – the Toby Keith, whatever. I think that maybe a new basketball arena, something might be, you know, Toby, Toby Keith court at whatever arena, like another good way to honor him, of course. But like all, all of these stories about, you know, coming together and, and the good that's, that's done through coming together. 
I think a bit of it's all for naught if you don't continue to remember that and continue to keep that at least maybe not at the forefront of your mind, but in your mind somewhere. So I would love for that one seat to always be Toby's seat in the LNC, and then, again, once we get a new arena, whenever that happens, get him a, a bit more formal of a situation. But but I, but I do think it's valuable to continue to honor his legacy, not just once it's out of the news cycle. Yeah, we had another listener from the 918 that chimed in and said, TK was kind of a modern-day Will Rogers, Oklahoma's favorite son, just my opinion. And there is no doubt a lot of, tooth, uh, a lot of truth to that, rather. Uh, a couple other pieces of news. Nick Saban is joining College Game Day. Uh, That has become official. ESPN has announced it. So Saban, after stepping down as Alabama's head coach, still going to be close to the game. And uh, it kind of raises the natural question, Travis, you think he's the replacement for Lee Corso? Because it's become apparent, and look, we all love Lee Corso. Find me somebody that doesn't. But it has become apparent that he is in the twilight of his broadcast career. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it would make sense for that to be the natural replacement because the question's going to be there, right? Is you know he's he's you know having having a tough time up there. He's 88 years old. Kirk has has really helped him out a lot, you know. But but you're seeing it, and at a certain time, it, it's 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 not doing him it's doing him a disservice up yeah. there if he's if he's i mean it's some people call it elderly abuse and it's like i don't think it's rising to those levels but at the same time i don't think that's the way that he wants to kind of be remembered and i think nick saban when you're talking about replacement i don't know if they always just have to have an older coach on the panel but nick saban's 72 so i don't i mean if you I don't know if this is like a – is this like a a Tonight Show thing where you have to replace the older guy with a much younger guy so he can do it for the next 30 years and then you got to get another – you know what I mean? Like you're not really resetting the clock too much if this is your move to replace Lee Corso, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, no doubt. Um, a question I never thought that we would get on the text line. This must be a relatively new listener, but a 405 listener asks – Grill boy, please elaborate for the uneducated. So, oh, would you care to share the story of how you earned the Grill Boy moniker, Mister Davidson? Yeah. So, um, before all this, before you know, radio, Travis, um, I was restaurant owner, Travis, and one of the ways that I I've always said I'll do anything to help the program. That's what I've always told coaches, anybody who listen. I'll do whatever I can to help the program. Well. Um, one of those things was smoking Wagyu tomahawks at Lincoln Riley's house, both houses. I did it at his first house. And then when he built the new monstrosity, um, I did it at that house. Well, when Lincoln Riley left, he had my smokers in his garage. So there are some that say, oh, like they, they, they originally people used it as an insult grill boy. You know, that's, that's what I'm known for is my grills. And then after that, I was just like, well, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll go buy it. That's fine. That's why we do the chat GBT, chat with Grill Boy and Thune. Uh, that's why Toby Keith knew me as Grill Boy. That's why, you know, a lot of people call me that in jest now. But, yep, started on a message board as an insult by some people that 
for some reason or another, do not like me. Um, but, you know, it'd be kind of a boring world if everybody liked you. So <laughs> that is the – that is the. I did get the smokers back. It was Smokergate. It was on – Barstool and Yahoo and Bro Bible and it was on local news. It was just a, it was a very odd time. But that, you know, led me to, you know, the Twitter Spaces. Twitter Spaces kind of led me to where I sit today, uh, uh, figuratively across from Parker Thune on the Rush every Wednesday, and really across from Tyler McComas typically, but Parker Thune today. So that is the story. <laughs> and guy from Parts Unknown says, and Texter. It's just a coincidence that Travis drives a black Escalade. Hey, yep. It's uh, just looking for my smokers, guys. I was just looking for my smokers. Um, this is this was a question that I actually I wanted to get around to this at some point, but a texter brought it to our attention and actually directed it at you, Travis. Said, Travis, I know you keep up with the OU baseball program quite a bit, and it was media today or media day today for Skip Johnson. They met with the media in advance of the Sooners' 2024 season. Uh, this listener wanted to know what your overall thoughts, overall feelings were as the Sooners head into baseball season about the state of the program and how high they can fly this year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't be more excited uh, about baseball season coming up. I will be attending one of the home openers. That's actually my birthday weekend. So um, plans with you know the, the family and everybody, I'm still going to make it over to at least one game of the opening series. But Really, Parker, we're loaded this year. I mean, I talked with Jackson Nicholas during football season, and he said, Travis, this is the best team that I will have played on. And I said, Jackson, I don't know if you maybe just have a poor memory, <laughs> but you played in the National Championship Series in Omaha. And he said, this team is it's this team's better than that team. And I was like, well, I suppose we'll see. I talked to somebody on staff that – not knowing I had had the conversation with Jackson, said the same thing. They went so far to say that we should be hosting a regional, maybe even a super regional. Wow. So I think that this team's going to be very good. There's going to be a lot of names that you recognize, right, a lot of returners. Uh, you know, the outfield with Bryce Madrin, John Spikerman, the crazy athlete, uh, always good for a highlight reel catch. Kendall Pettis, the same thing, awesome athlete. Um, those guys uh, kind of make up the outfield. We've we've really got pitching depth that we haven't had. We definitely didn't have it last year. Uh, we've got some pitching depth um, with guys like Hit, uh, Witherspoon. Golson was the uh, draft pick, the freshman, six six, like two twenty freshman righty that is could have gone to the majors if he wanted, but he's going to be probably midweek to start. I think he'll get worked in. I think he's in the weekend rotation by the end of the year. Uh, but you've got uh, Jackson Willits, uh, who obviously Reggie Willits, his dad. Uh, he's he's a freshman. He's the front runner to start at shortstop, and he is a stud. So, I mean, him with Jackson Nicholas in your middle infield uh, brings a lot of experience. Obviously, you're going to have McKenzie on first. Carmichael returns to catch. You've got a lot of experience coming back, and I think that's what's most important. We talked about it in the football discussions, right? It's you've got to have the experience. You've got to mesh, right? Well, you've got a ton of experience coming back, but then you plug in a guy like Carter Frederick, who in in my belief is going to be the designated hitter. Carter Frederick 
He hits dingers, Parker. He hits dingers. <laughs> so, like, you add power to a lineup that was already good, that's got a lot of athleticism, right? Chaos. They like to create chaos. They're aggressive on the base pass. They're going to continue to do that. But you've got now pitching depth, really good pitching depth. Like, they're throwing heat. Like, we'll have we'll have a lot of pitchers that can hit mid-90s. I think we've got uh, uh, one or two that might be able to touch 100. So we're, we're going to be throwing heat. We, we've got the athleticism. We've got the experience, like I said, with, with leaders like, like Bryce and like Jackson Nicholas and like John Spikerman, those kind of guys, Kendall Pettis. Like those guys being back, it's, it's massive. So I, I couldn't recommend a baseball game highly enough. It's, they're going to be really good. They're a lot of fun to watch. The game day experience is really cool. Whether you're going to be a berm bum uh, outside with the uh, beers on the couches uh, waving the flags or you're actually going to be in the stadium, uh, couldn't recommend going to a game more. I will be sitting directly behind home plate. Uh, so uh, come say hi. Man, if that team is indeed better than the 2022 squad that Skip fielded, it's going to be a really fun year of baseball because, Travis, I know you remember it just as vividly as I do. It was not that long ago. That was so much fun in 2022, especially over the final couple of weeks of the season because it just felt like that team had a magic aura about them. And obviously they ran into another team that kind of went on the same charmed type of run in Ole Miss in the championship series. But watching OU baseball, especially in the month of June back in 2022, was so much fun because you just knew they were going to get it done. Weren't sure how, and there were some theatrics. There was uh, there, there was some drama at times, but, man, that team just found a way. And they got hot at the right time, almost took that thing all the way to and through Omaha and hoisted a national championship trophy. I know that will be the goal this season, if that is indeed the case, that this team is better than the team that they fielded in 2022 all right we got a lot more texts to get to uh i know people are still engaged in the nil conversation i'm sure we'll circle back around to that at some point uh definitely got to talk some recruiting coming up next 918 listener says got my tickets in provo let's go skip man that's got to be an awesome place to watch yes. a baseball game byu Heck provo's yes. an awesome just place to do anything i'll just stare at those mountains all day Keep it here on The Rush. The home of Sooner fans, Parker Thune, Travis Davidson, Chat GBT, Real Boy and Thune. Back next, here with you. Hour number two of The Rush continues here on a Wednesday. Parker Thune alongside Travis Davidson. No Tyler McComas, no Teddy Lehman today. They're both back in the saddle tomorrow, but... We got you old school Twitter space style here today. We'll get back to the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line in just a moment. 405-651-3439. This hour of the rush brought to you by the Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers. Check out your local Buick GMC dealer for great purchase and lease deals on the full line of Buicks and GMC trucks. Whether it be 0% interest rates or $0 down leases, the Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers have the best savings of the year going on right now. Clint in Tulsa on the text line, Travis, and this is this this did not get talked about a lot yesterday for obvious reasons. We were all mourning the death and celebrating the life 
of the great Toby Keith. But amidst it all, Alabama hired Oklahoma senior special teams analyst Jay Nunez away to be their special teams coordinator. Still unclear whether that's going to be an on-field role or not, but I was told he is going to hold the title of special teams coordinator at Alabama. So he gets a bump as far as title is concerned. No doubt that comes with a pretty nice pay raise as well. But Clinton Tulsa said, so Alabama took one look at OU's super subpar special teams play and said, ooh, give us some of that. What do you think of uh, Nunez's departure, Travis? Well, I mean, I'm not going to sit up here and say that OU special teams were great. Now, I don't know if him not having an on-field role uh, meant that he was the one that was putting Gavin Freeman um, back there to return. That could have been somebody else making those personnel decisions. Again, not being a coach on the field obviously has some input, but I think that's an important distinction, the fact that he was an analyst. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know who else he was supposed to get to kick field goals. And maybe at times I think he's judged squarely on the Schmidt-Freeman combo. Yeah. And is that fair? Eh, maybe. I don't think it's 100% fair, but, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, the the court of public opinion isn't 100% fair, Parker. And it, well, no doubt. And, look, Gavin, <laughs> I, Gavin Freeman did have several muffs last year. Like, I, I, I don't want to disregard that or make it seem like I'm just sweeping that right. under the rug. But Gavin Freeman did also end a seven-year drought of no return touchdowns on special teams of any kind for Oklahoma last year. So that's a thing. That happened. And not only that, but Nunez was instrumental in bringing Luke Elzinga to Norman. And Elzinga, down the stretch, emerged as a legit weapon in the punting game, in the field position game for Oklahoma. So give credit where credit is due. Luke Elzinga probably isn't a Sooner, if not for Jay Nunez. And I said it yesterday. I'll say it again. What happened at kicker really couldn't be helped. You know, Gavin Freeman was – or I'm sorry, not Gavin Freeman, but Gavin Marshall was injured pretty much all year. Uh, Reddy Mustafaraz was clearly uh, not prepared, and there was not as much confidence as much confidence in him as there was in Zach Schmidt or else you would have seen ready kick. He was the only alternative. And so Zach Schmidt was trotting out there because he was the best option that the Sooners had. And Jay Nunez, well, there's, there's really nothing he can do about that. You get Liam Evans this year. There's that. Right. And, and, and that's the thing. It's, I'm not sure one way or another, whether he was over the personnel decisions uh, I don't know if he's the one that put Marcus Stripling back, t- you know, at Kansas to try and field, uh, you know, a uh, a little pooch kickoff. I'm not sure if he was the one that, you know, was was putting Gavin Freeman back there after some of the muffs. I just don't know. But I think, I mean, I'm pretty sure that Brent Venables wanted him to stay and expected him to be part of the staff going forward next year. So usually that's a good sign that, I mean – if, if he wanted him to stay, then would have been nice for him to stay. But I'm not sure what they'll do with the position going forward. Obviously, Zach Alley's got some special teams experience. Brandon Hall's got special teams experience. Um, 
there there are guys that have come up. I mean, Joe John Finley has special teams experience. Um, I believe Seth Latrell's got special teams experience. Like a lot of a lot of coaches on staff have special teams experience. It's just who do you get to put in the position to be the analyst, right, Parker? Yeah, and one thing I do know, just talking to sources behind the scenes, is that Oklahoma was not expecting Jay Nunez to leave. And so as far as who fills his shoes, uh, they're still in the infantile stages of figuring out who that's going to be and how they're going to do it. So Nunez was a guy that Oklahoma was counting on having around in the long run. They liked the job that he was doing, and there was some definite – well, I'll put it kindly. There was some dissatisfaction. There, The natives were restless in the Switzer Center when Jay Nunez – uh, informed everybody that he was going to be departing to take the job at Alabama. So generally, when Brent Venables wants somebody and is upset that somebody is leaving, that that speaks louder to me than the court of public opinion. I, that's just how I look at things. And you're you're more than welcome to share a dissenting opinion. That's fine. That's what makes sports talk radio fun. And well. Keep in mind, we've tried to fire everybody, right? I mean, the court of public opinion has fired Ted Roof, Jeff Levy. Um, some have already fired Brent Venables. They tried to fire DeMarco Murray. They fired Bill Biedenboe. Um, We have texters named after hating Todd Bates. Like, it, it's not the, – the court of public opinion has a long and decorated record, Parker, of uh, wanting to uh, get rid of coaches, so – you should not be surprised when Jay Nunez is the the latest victim. Hey, you want to talk about Jonah Williams? Uh, do I ever? <laughs> right. Let's turn the page next and talk about Oklahoma's clear top target in the 2025 class and one with whom they are trending very nicely early in this recruiting cycle. That's next. This is The Rush on the Home of Sooner fans, the Ref Sports Radio Network. It is the final segment of Hour 2 of The Rush. we got a whole nother hour to come. Don't worry. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson here with you. Many of you have interacted and continue to interact in real time on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. If you have not and you want to, the number is 405-651-3439. That is where you can send a text message to have it read. I, I shouldn't say have it read. I can't guarantee that we will read it. We get a ton of them. But we will do our best to get to all of your texts, 405-651-3439. And as I promised, Travis, let's talk about Jonah Williams, Oklahoma's top target in the 2025 class. Now, a listener on the text line here in the 405 says, what does it really mean when you say recruiting is trending nicely? With these kids, how do you really know anything? What gives you an idea which way it is trending? And, well, the answer to that is the same way any reporter knows anything before it happens. People talk, stuff is in motion behind the scenes, and if you know the right folks, you have a general sense of where things are seem to be pointing for a particular recruit. And that's not to say that things can't change, right? But that is to say that for the moment, Oklahoma – is indeed in the driver's seat for Jonah Williams' commitment. We got a fong bomb yesterday 
Steve Wiltfong of 24-7 Sports, one of the most respected figures in the recruiting industry. Logged a prediction for Jonah Williams to Oklahoma, and that is just the latest in a string of predictions that have come in in favor of the Sooners. For the five-star safety out of Galveston, Texas, here's what kind of complicates things, though, Travis, is that, you know, talk, talking to folks in the Switzer Center, uh, it, they're not that thrilled that those predictions went in because, and we'll unpack this in greater detail, but if you're familiar with recruiting, you know, especially for a player of his caliber, of Jonah Williams' caliber, all those predictions start to fly, and it makes life a lot tougher. For the recruiters, yeah. for the staff, that is. Yeah, yeah, you, you walk the fine line, right? It's, you know, you want to be the first to break it, but you don't want to be the – you know, the reason that it makes your football program's job more difficult. So how do you walk that fine line? I guess people have their different opinions on it. Um, but, you know, I, I think before the, you know, before Twitter had, you know, bots that would announce every crystal ball that went in, I think people could get away with it uh, uh -huh. a lot easier. But, but hey, you know what, people – uh they're, they're, it's public information, so uh, not, the aggregators, they, they have every right to do, do that. It, and a lot of people find it very helpful. But, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it, it makes it more difficult, but I don't know, would you, would, you rather, would you rather just get rid of the prediction models if you're coaches? Probably. <laughs> I, know, right? I know many in the industry who do. Right? But that's the thing. Well – the predictions are part of the recruiting service world. You know what else, Parker? You know better than anybody is part of the recruiting service world is the, hey, Parker, who else, what is this kid saying about, you think, you think this kid's going to take other visits? Do you think, you know, what, what's your gauge on this kid? You went to, you've, you've talked to him, you just did an interview, you just drove to, you know, Iowa or you drove to wherever to talk to this kid what's he kind of feel like that kind of stuff it comes at a price and and and, and that's it, it may be unfortunate but there's a little bit of give and take and i know that people you know that coaches just get rid of the prediction model but guess what much like nil much like the transfer portal parker it ain't going anywhere yeah no it's really not and especially with all these especially as quickly as things can be aggregated onto social media these days and blown up People take notice of these things, and when something is a big part of that culture on social media, it's a hard thing to eradicate. But, you know, I I know coaches, and I know reporters as well who are like, man, for, for the sake of everybody, it would be fine if we just nuked all predictions and didn't do that crap anymore. There are those who think that. I'm not necessarily in that camp, at least not yet, but – there is like those predictions can do harm in addition to doing good. Chonky Chuck on the text line asks, is Jonah Williams going to be a quick recruitment like Lincoln Cure is looking like or longer? And here's perhaps the best way I can answer that question. Chonky Chuck, before all those predictions went in, the expectation was going to be that Jonah Williams recruitment was going to be a pretty quick one. Ever since those predictions went in, Man, the timeline has already shifted drastically. And yeah, again, I mean, that's why 
That's why some folks are not happy about it. Right. Well, and, but also it's, I mean, I can see both sides of it. It's if, if, if you are putting in a prediction, like David Stone said he was going to beat the crystal balls. <laughs> guess what? David Stone is, is signed to the university of Oklahoma right now. Right. Like there's, I know you want a sense of surprise, this, that, and the other, but sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. Is it a situation where, oh, I was going to commit to you guys, but somebody put in a prediction, so now I'm going to Oregon? Like, I think that would be a little bit odd because that's just an odd way to handle things. But I also don't really see the 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 value of a prediction at the end of the day. Like, I don't think a prediction has any value at the end of the day other than, obviously, who had the information first. If nobody was allowed to put in a prediction, I think we'd be in fine shape. <laughs> no doubt. Travis Travis had the original information on Jonah Williams, for those yes, that I don't did. know. The, re- <laughs> the real ones know. If you're a subscriber over to o- OUinsider.com, you know Travis was actually the one with that scoop before anybody. Props to Grill Boy. All right, last hour of the rush coming up here on a Wednesday. We'll be back. Keep it here on The Ref. Well, no machine gun McComas today here on The Ref. I am Parker Thune, filling the void in his absence. We do have Travis Davidson live from the 918. This hour, this final hour of The Rush, brought to you by Riverwind Casino and Hotel just south of Norman off of Highway 9. The Riverwind Casino and Hotel has a huge casino floor, over 219,000 square feet with over 2,700 electronic games. 30 table games and a poker room open 24-7. In addition to gaming, Riverwind always has great concerts and comedy shows going on. So for tickets or to check out their events calendar, call 405-322-6464. That's the Riverwind Casino just south of Norman off Highway 9 and I-35. If you want to chime in here during the final hour of the show, by all means do so. 405-651-3439 is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. That is 405-651-3439. First things first here, Travis. I want to get to this text from Drew in Flower Mound because he has sent it repeatedly. It has gotten buried repeatedly. We have talked football. We have talked baseball today. We have not yet talked basketball, and I want to get into the impressive win for Porter Moser and his crew last night, an emotional victory in the aftermath of the passing of the great Toby Keith. But Drew from Flower Mound says, did you all see on three's senior year evaluations for basketball? Cool attack went from 71 to 47. I was curious if rivals would do something like that. He's a really interesting player. Definitely needs to get bigger, but he's a nice shooter, and with that size, that can help us a lot. For those that are not familiar, Cool Attack, I don't really care how his name is pronounced. That's what I'm calling him. It's spelled K-U-O-L-A-T-A-K. He is one of two scholarship signees for Oklahoma in the 2024 class in the sport of basketball. It is him and Dayton Forsyth, the fine guard from Dale, Oklahoma. So, Cool Attack, getting some love from the National Basketball Recruiting folks, Travis. Yeah, I I like it. I I would like to see the uh, you know his ranking go up a little bit more because right now in the two four seven composite he is one hundred and third ranked player in the country. I would love for uh, Porter to have another top one hundred player that would make it his fifth top one hundred player. And 
don't sleep on another top 100 player in the form of Alec Blair out of California, De La Salle in Concord, California. Another two-way star, two-way superstar, Uh, 6'6", top 100 basketball player, um, but also a high-level baseball product, or uh, sorry, prospect. So we'll see if We'll see if Oklahoma can rein in another two-sport athlete as Skip Johnson, Ryan Gaines, Reggie Willits, these guys continue to recruit for the entire athletic department, not just the baseball team. But, yeah, would love to see attack. At, he stands at 6'9", uh, like 190, uh, so string bean type situation. So he'd have to add on some mass for sure after watching uh, you know, a guy like John Hughley down there banging on the boards but yeah a a a, a really nice player you know oklahoma needs the size there's no doubt about it it seems like i don't know i guess not in the sec i mean yes you still will need it but the big 12 it seems like every team's got two seven footers that they're just rolling out there so it would be nice to have him this year but porter's been a good recruiter since he's been here again if he's able to land alec blair uh and cool attack that could be two more top 100 players that he could add to his arsenal. And you get Forsyth and a guy, I mean, an absolute stud. The first play of his season, he uh, he dunked all over a guy. So, yeah, Porter's bringing in the dudes. There's no doubt about it. And loved what I saw from them last night. Shot really nicely from the free throw line. I know I uh, kind of caught some flack for harping on that. I didn't DM Porter, though. That was not me. Uh, not me. We do know now that Porter checks his DMs, so do with that information what you will. But, um, yeah, really excited about the team last night. If you can, you've got to beat the Pokes. Got to beat the Pokes. And if you can do that, you're, you're, you're set up nicely to be a, a middle-type seed in the tournament if you're able to keep that trajectory going. In a half-full LNC. Travis, because that's about as full as the LNC gets these days, let's be honest. In a half-full LNC, how many free throws out of 10 do you think you could sink? Half-full LNC. I... Oh, man. You know, I was I was a pretty good free throw shooter growing up. Yeah? Um, and uh, played a little bit at Union until um, I decided that maybe golf was more my, uh, my speed. But, yeah, I could probably... In a half-full LNC, I could probably knock down, realistically, four or five. Four or five, really? That four feels, or, that four feels or conservative. five. I, I kind of figured you would, you would shoot a little higher for yourself. No, that. so I think, I think with warm-up time and an empty gym, I think I could make seven or eight. But I've never played in front of that many people before. <laughs> Um, so I'm not just going to go ahead and assume. I mean, if it's a home crowd and I'm the home player and it's quiet as a just you could hear a needle drop, maybe I would up that to six or seven. Wow. But I'm I'm not one of these uh, that gets out there and says, well, I could have hit that wide open receiver 40 yards down the field. No, no, I couldn't have. So you're saying just, the pressure would have gotten to you. I I think that it's more difficult than people make it out to be while also subscribing to the fact that D1 players should shoot should shoot a high clip. See, folks, this is why they don't call him Ice Davidson. He don't got that ice in his veins. No, I got that fire on the grill. You know what's up. 
Now, last night, obviously, as I mentioned, emotional victory for Porter Moser and the Sooners over BYU. Very talented BYU team as well, a top 25 BYU team. Here was Porter after the game. He was, quite naturally, thinking about Toby Keith. Well, never mind. I want to just say uh, today's a tough day for Sooner Nation. We lost uh, a dear friend in Toby Keith, and uh, I heard his songs blaring in the arena. And I've been here three years and uh, became a, a, a true friend of mine and him and his family. And uh, he is everything you want to be about. Um, he's Sooner Nation to all of his friends around the country, in the music industry, in the sports world. Um, friends in all different things. Today we raise a glass to Toby Keith. And I wish there was something different than water in this glass right now because he is a true legend, a true friend to everybody. And I just want to say our guys played their hearts out for Toby Keith tonight to get this win. And I know he was looking down on us tonight. So to everyone who hears this around Sooner Nation, friends all across the, the country, raise your glass tonight to Toby Keith. Whew. Worried we wouldn't get that soundbite in. The computer took its sweet time spinning its wheels to play that Porter soundbite. But nonetheless, those were Moser's comments last night on a very meaningful evening in the Lloyd Noble Center that was triumphant in the end for Oklahoma. And while it meant a lot to everybody uh, situationally, obviously circumstantially with Keith's passing earlier that morning, Travis, from a basketball standpoint, also a win that the Sooners needed and needed in the worst way to stay afloat in this very competitive Big 12 conference. Yeah, it's it's an absolute gauntlet, and I feel that, you know, all these people that are saying, oh, man, SEC ready, we got to be SEC ready for football. Man, we've never seen anything like a schedule like the one we're going to see. B.S., you see it in basketball. Like, this is – the Big 12 basketball conference is every bit as competitive on a night-to-night basis as SEC football will be because you've got you're going to get 10 or 11 teams in the tournament that's crazy i mean you're you've got like right now our, if we include last night parker if we just include last night and we take our next 7 games then we will have gone let's see Ranked team, rival, ranked team, ranked team, rival, ranked team, ranked team. Like, what a seven-game stretch, man. So, like, it, getting wins, I don't care if they're home or on the road, getting wins, that's big time. And Ken Palm and net rating for BYU had that team ranked super high. That is the best team that's come in and played at Lloyd Noble this year. Uh, statistically, now there's going to be some better ones with Houston and uh, and Kansas coming to town. But BYU was making all kinds of threes all year. We held them below 10 for the 48th straight Big 12 game. We've held the opponent under 10 threes. Uh, we shot a better. We shot the same amount of threes. Shot them at a higher clip. We defended the three well. We forced the ball inside right defensively and adjusted it felt like they were eating us up uh inside but it was i think it was kind of by design parker so i think porter had a heck of a game plan i think i think los 
played his butt off on defense and was really pushing the pace on offense, getting into the lane, hitting those floaters. I thought McCollum was doing the same thing. I think they were both playing with a lot of just a lot of intent on on being on on playing fast. And I think that Hughley, you know, he was he was playing well tonight. He can he can shoot it if he needs, but you know, going back and forth with that big body you know, he, he played a good game. I thought Godwin had some really nice moments when he's had a, kind of a poor stretch in the middle of the season. I thought he had some really nice moments. Soares continues his great play. So is Jalen Moore was, was really not doing much in the first half. And in that second half, he explodes. So really good win for Porter. And I really feel like it's one that they can build on. I think it's one you can say, hey, look, we're going to continue to push the pace and be aggressive. We need to be this way for the rest of the season. Yeah, Jalen Moore is certainly an X factor, not the X factor for this team, but it's a correlation I've started to notice, Travis, and I wonder if others have as well. When Jalen Moore plays well, the Sooners generally play well. And again, correlation does not necessarily equal causation, but it does speak, I think, to how valuable Jalen Moore's contributions are to this basketball team. Now, Oklahoma on the year sits at 17-6. and six. Uh, You would expect, with a victory against the Pokes this Saturday at the LNC, they'll be right back in the AP Top 25 next Monday. Uh, the closing stretch, I mean, I, I, I'm hesitant to call it brutal because it's just life in the Big 12, but you got to go to number 13 Baylor, you host Kansas, you go to Gallagher-Iba, you go to Hilton Coliseum, you host number 5 Houston, you host a Cincinnati team that you already beat on their home floor, and then you close the regular season on the road in Austin against a Texas team that you could certainly quantify as downtrodden lately. So 20 wins, it feels like the threshold, right? You get to 20 wins, you're very securely in the tournament, and – 20 wins are there for Oklahoma. Like, they're, they're right there on the schedule. They're not hard to see. And as long as you can sweep Oklahoma State, man, that in itself might be good enough. And I know it's not going to be. Like, at some point along the line, you'd like to win another few games. You'd like to be able to maybe steal one in Hilton Coliseum. You'd like to be able to get Texas on the road, certainly defend your home court against Cincinnati. But – the path to the tournament with that victory over BYU last night, Travis, got a lot easier for the Sooners. They lose that game, things look kind of dire. Uh, not lost by any means, but it's a tough road ahead. That win last night helped a lot. Yeah, it really did. It really did. And you need to go 2-0 this week. You know, Oklahoma State has not played well. They beat Kansas State who then beat Kansas. So, again, this league is just – it doesn't make any sense. But you have to beat Oklahoma State. You have to. And Porter. Porter needs an Oklahoma State win. He has not fared well against uh, the Pokes and the Horns. So, for his sake, you know, he needs to go out there and it needs to go 2-0 and against Oklahoma State this year. You're not going to have, Parker, many better opportunities. Well – I mean, unless they continue Bedlam, which I think they will in basketball, you're really not going to have many opportunities to get on the right side of things with Oklahoma State going forward. So uh, this this next game, if you can, oh, if you can be there, be there. Back to the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line coming up on the other side. We'll hit a quick break. 405-651-3439 is the text line. If you care to chime in with questions, comments, opinions. Parker Thune and Travis Davidson rolling with you here on The Rush. It is The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Stay right here.
It is the rush here on the ref, the home of Sooner fans. Whether you're listening via the traditional radio dial or on the app, thanks for joining us here on a Wednesday evening. Now, I suppose where I draw the line, Travis, afternoon to evening is five o'clock. It's after five. It's officially the evening. So here we are on a Wednesday evening talking Sooner sports with you, Parker, through alongside Travis Davidson, who joins from up there in the 918 Green Country, Tulsa, America. And we got a lot of texts to get to here on the Meyer Chevrolet text line, 405-651-3439. A listener in the 402 pointed out, Travis, and this is true and very significant, BYU is number eight in the NET rankings. Monster win for OU last night on the hardwood. Yeah, I believe they were number seven, um, at least prior to last night. They were number seven. Look, that's a really good team. They make a lot of threes. They're number one in the Big 12 in offense. And the Sooners showed up to play defense. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Like I said, I love the way the guards played aggressive uh, without fouling a ton. I know they fouled a little bit late, uh, just got a little bit sloppy. But they were working over screens. That's one thing that, Parker, that's one thing we really struggled with against Texas. Max Azmus went – I mean, we kept on going under screens, under screens, under screens, and he would just pull up and hit threes. Last night, we're going over screens. We're fighting through screens. There was one time we trucked a dude trying to fight through a screen. Got called for a foul. Like, just being more aggressive and imposing your will on them is something that Porter really got through to the team. It was it was quite obvious. They looked good last night. Man, didn't look perfect. But again, perfect basketball. Can you even really play that in the Big 12? Strong conference, strong teams all across the board, talented basketball programs, and that's why, you know, we talked about it last segment. But, yeah, this is a game you should win at home against Oklahoma State this Saturday. It's not a game you can look past because I can recall a time. I mean, this is, what, less than two years ago, back in February of 2022, Travis, the Sooners lost a game to an Oklahoma State team that finished with a losing record at the Lloyd Noble Center in late February that ultimately cost them a spot in the NCAA tournament. They were the second team out of the field of 68, and it was very easy to look back on that game and go, yep, that was probably the razor's edge right there. You win that game, you are in the field, but you lost that game, and it's an ugly loss on your resume that's enough to keep you out. Yeah, and, and, and it's the blessing of the Big 12. We, we don't have an ugly loss. We got through the non-con, unscathed outside of a road game at North Carolina, and missed me with that neutral site stuff. It was absolutely a road game in North Carolina. Um, I mean, you don't have the bad loss on the resume. And the thing about the Big 12, not only does it not give you bad losses, it gives you a ton of opportunity for great wins, great wins. I, th- I mean, outside of probably Oklahoma State, every other win would be a, a quad one win, it, like the rest of them for the entire season, I believe. I mean, that's some opportunity right there, and that's the difference. You've got to look at it. A lot of people look at it as, oh, my gosh, there's no way we get through this gauntlet unscathed. And I think a lot of people, you know, need to look at it as, man, look at all the opportunity ahead of us. It's, it's not unlike the bowl pick them. you got a lot of high-confidence games that are still mm. left to play. Mm. It's a good analogy. 
Well done. Thank well you. Done. Yeah, because, I mean, again, with where Oklahoma sits, if you can sweep the pokes, that gets you to 19 overall wins. Again, 20 is the threshold where you go into the conference tournament with 20 wins. Regardless of what happens in the conference tournament, regardless of what ends up happening in Kansas City, you're probably in the field of 68. You're almost assuredly in the field of 68. But, like, especially if win number 20 came not against a school like Cincinnati or a school like Texas, right? Competent basketball programs, but not elite ones. But let's say you could get to 20 wins with a flourish and maybe beat Kansas at the LNC or go and beat Iowa State on the road at Hilton Coliseum. Man, that's the type of statement win that is not only going to look great on a resume come Selection Sunday, but it's going to give you a lot of momentum and a lot of confidence heading into the tournament. And it's not a given that Oklahoma gets to the tournament. Like no, Nothing is a given in this conference. I don't want to make it seem like we're already ushering Oklahoma into the field of 68. They still got to take care of business. But especially if they can take care of business with a bit of emphasis. Again, I think this is a team that is as capable as anybody in the Big 12 of making a deep run in March. Because, yeah, you know, when when shots aren't falling, they're not a good basketball team. I mean, let's call it like it is. The Sooners do not have the interior presences to throw elbows with the likes of a Kansas and a Hunter Dickinson and win a knock-em-down, drag-it-out type of basketball game. No, they're going to have to win games because the shots fall from the outside and because they get great guard play. But guard play is something that travels in March. Travis and that's what makes me cautiously optimistic about the outlook for Oklahoma in the long run is that as long as you can get to the field of 68 I think you have some of the pieces that are conducive to a potential deep tournament run oh for sure and defense travels as well and and I think that's what Porter really wants to hang his hat on is we're going to defend with a lot of energy because Parker you brought up this team needs to make shots and they can't get into this you know, half court versus half court type situation where they're 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 trying to bang down low against these Zach Eadies and Honey Hunter Dickinsons and, and and all these big dudes. Like but the key to that, Parker, is not only do you need some shots to fall, but you can kind of I don't know, sidestep the need to hit a bunch of shots from deep if you defend well enough to give yourself transition opportunities. And that was something that I really liked, like when Oklahoma plays well, it's because they're defending well and they're creating their offense. When you have speed like J.B. McCollum, when you have the speed and the verticality of a Jalen Moore, the sheer well-rounded athleticism of an Otega Owe, you know, Los can, can, can fly. Like you get those guys, the ball, you know, with a little bit of room to run, and they're going to get to the rack. They're either going to score, sometimes emphatically, or they're going to get to the free throw line, which is always a plus, especially and, if it's J.B. McCollum. And I love so, the I love the remarkable simpleness of the gap that Porter so often cites. A gap being defined as three consecutive defensive stops in a row. Because you know we have we have plenty of metrics, we have plenty of statistics, we have more metrics and statistics in sports than we will ever need. But I love just very concise, very tangible ways of measuring success such as that. And, you know, like 
I think one of the common denominators with metrics and statistics, especially the advanced ones, is okay. Like, how does this does this definitely without question translate to winning games? Gaps are one of those things that you know you look at it and you're just like, okay, very obviously we get a bunch of gaps. We're going to win basketball games because that means the other team isn't scoring, and so. It's a really easy way to think about, you know, crucial stretches of the game. If we can get three stops here, it's going to drastically increase our chances of winning, and that's one of the things that Porter has emphasized is, hey, you know, at any point we make three straight stops, our chances of winning this game go up significantly. Yeah, and he says he wants to get seven a game. So it's what I like about it is it's it, it breaks it down into bite-sized, tangible um, – achievable goals right if if you if if porter said all right look guys we need to get 21 stops specific 21 stops this game like it's like 21's a big number right but and i know and i know the 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 math doesn't quite work on this like like i'm intending but if you can break it down and just say guys much like brent venable says if you can strain strain for three stops get three stops if you can do that you know, you can, you know, we, we can we can start to dig in our heels a little bit. And then just do that seven times in a 40-minute game. When you start to put stuff, when you start to kind of spin stuff like that, you know, you, that's something your team can buy into because it makes it so much easier to understand. So <clears throat> with that, I thought something that uh, was brought up, I, I think it might have been, I forget who brought it up or I would, I would uh, cite them, but one thing that's so great is, Porter puts a massive emphasis on defending the three-point shot, creating bad looks from three. So when they fire it up and they miss, that's a long rebound. Long rebounds are good for transition because, sure, sometimes, you know, they miss a shot, they miss a layup. Well, it's still under the basket. So it's really clogged there. You can't really get things, you know, kind of down the floor. You really can't do it when you're taking the ball out of the basket after a make. But those long rebounds – because you've defended the three well, that you don't just have to rely on steals for transition defense. You can really get it going with long rebounds. So uh, I, I think this team's kind of figured out a formula because they were giving up some 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 size inside, just like they have in the past, and they were able to work with it. They were they were playing a team that is very good in, in, from three point land, and they dealt with it. I think the team's really finding their groove, and Rivaldo Suarez and Jalen Moore are a big part of it. We got a half hour left here on this installment of the rush on a Wednesday. I want to dive back into the NIL conversation that we had, specifically centered around football a bit earlier. We got a lot of text that we never did circle back around to. So let's get there coming up next. I know it's something that for a lot of people tuning in on their drive home, they're eager to hear some elaboration on. So we'll play the comments, some of the comments from Jason Belzer yesterday the CEO of Student Athlete NIL and his interview on the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast. Very insightful stuff on the inner workings of NIL. So we'll discuss that and more. Coming up next, it's the ref, the home of Sooner fans. Winding down here on the rush, the home, I'm sorry, the ref, the home of Sooner fans. This is the rush. Travis Davidson. Up in Tulsa, I am Parker Thune here in the Buffalo Wild Wings studios in Norman. Back to the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line in just a moment. This hour, of course, brought to you by Riverwind Casino and Hotel. 
for tickets or to check out their events calendar, call 405-322-6464. Riverwind Casino, just south of Norman, off Highway 9 and I-35, over 2,700 electronic games, 30 table games, and a poker room open 24-7. To the text line we go, and as I mentioned, Travis, we had a good, long, robust discussion earlier in the show about all things pertaining to NIL. I think it's worth revisiting because naturally we have a lot of listeners tuning in for the first time on their drive home. And so we played this soundbite earlier. Apologies if you've been listening the whole show and you've already heard it. But this is Jason Belzer, uh, not the former OU safety Jason Belzer. That's Belzer with an S. This is Belzer with a Z. Jason Belzer is the CEO of Student Athlete NIL which handles 38 collectives nationwide, one of which is the University of Oklahoma. So he is prominently involved with Oklahoma's NIL efforts. He made an appearance yesterday on the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast, and he shared a lot of very revealing insight about the state of NIL. And, of course, one of the sound bites of his that made the rounds most conspicuously was this comment about former Oklahoma offensive guard and current Missouri Tiger, Caden Green, who was, of course, the subject of a bizarre portal saga about a month and a half ago. We basically came close to matching what he had asked. And then he sort of said, you know what, I'm going to go and go into the portal or whatever. And it was done, right? So we were not in control, right? At the end of the day, we can only have those conversations. That being said, I can tell you, and I don't mind saying this on the record, there was some substantial tampering that was occurring with him. And there was tampering that was occurring with his direct, I believe his father is really his agent. I don't know if he actually has an agent directly that's Mm -hmm. working with him. But there were conversations that were happening with him while he was still a student athlete he wasn't in the portal we saw a lot of that this year so that's very revealing Travis both on the Caden Green front and with regard to tampering as a whole and again it was a discussion we entertained earlier but the the question that so many raised is well can you avoid tampering can you can your program subsist in this era of college football without tampering i'm going to read you this text from dan in madison mississippi travis and i would love your thoughts on this comment from dan based on your interview with jason belzer i think ou is doing it the right way now baseline pay for everyone and more for superstars i think the job is to continue to raise money to keep raising the baseline for everyone we need the assets to keep our big fish or quote unquote bag if we want and or need a big fish yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm all about raising the floor because you can't do incentive-based. I, I love incentive-based things. I like Baker Mayfield's contract, love it. Love it that he was able to go make millions more dollars because he played well, because the franchise is like, yeah, we'll gladly pay you that money because all of the incentives made us more money. So, like – I'm a big incentive guy, but I know you can't do that. It can't be performance-based at this level. But I do think getting a very high floor would would be important. I think that gets you – 
uh, I think it helps with the culture big time. Uh, I think everybody, n- nobody's going hungry at that rate, you know, and because I think I think part of the issue is is making sure that you don't have the haves and the have-nots in the locker room, right? It's one guy is pulling up in a new car and the other guy, you know, can't afford food or can't afford what what to get his car fixed or can't afford whatever, right? Can't afford an emergency expense. Like that's the difference to me is is the haves versus the have-nots. I think if you raise the floor with having, you know, the whole roster make a high base salary, if you will, then yes, go go have a, a, a positional structure that that says, you know, you're worth this much. It could be maybe not positional, it could be tenure based. It could be, hey, you know what? You as a freshman, you get this amount. As a sophomore, you get this amount. Man, if you stay, you know, to your senior year, you get even more. Because that would be the kind of the senior thing is a bit more incentive based, right? Because those that's when you're draft eligible. So it's, do you go into the draft? Maybe, maybe not. You get drafted, or maybe you don't go as high as you think. Maybe you can get some gap insurance situation going, or you want to come back for the most nil money that we will pay you as a base. So then if they come back, you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, we got to shell out a lot of money to this senior. But at the same time, you're going, man, I've got a guy that is, that's experienced coming back, right? And you can do it differently if you were at Oklahoma all those years. You know, maybe you're, you're in another, you know, level of earnings. If you were – but if you transferred in and just spent your last two years, maybe you're not as high of a level. I think there's some – you know, creative ways you can do it. But, Parker, the bottom line to all of this is the money's got to be there. Yeah, and not that Travis in Tulsa on the text line says, I missed it earlier and I'm traveling for work. What was the podcast talking about Caden Green and NIL? That is the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast, the latest episode. It dropped yesterday. Now, Dave from Norman says, I love that idea, Travis. Senior year incentive for sure. And, had another listener in the 615, that's Tennessee, says, why can't you do partially based and partially incentive-based? Well, it, you can't. It's kind of baked into the pie, if we're being completely honest. Because, for instance, Dylan Gabriel made well over a million dollars last year at the University of Oklahoma, and it wasn't because the collective was paying him well over a million dollars. He was making a certain amount from the collective, but he was also making a hefty amount on external partnerships, i.e. he was getting NIL money that didn't come directly from the collective. And that is natural, right? If you're the quarterback at the University of Oklahoma, everybody wants to partner with you. If you're a star, everybody wants to partner with you. I would venture to say Danny Stutzman will probably make the same money that Dylan Gabriel made last year, if not more, next season. Not because it's the collective cutting him a check for that sum of money, but because yes, there's a decent amount coming from the collective. There's also going to be plenty of opportunity for him to make additional NIL money via partnerships that he enters into with outside third parties. Well, and you know, they have a, uh, just to save you some time in the future, you know, um, additional deals with outside parties, uh, that's called NIL. Like, the base of what all of this was supposed to be was 
your name, image, and likeness. Go make money off of that value because the NCAA has been doing it for a long time. The school's been doing it for a long time. You think you're worth money? Cool. Go talk to the car dealership. Go talk to the local restaurant group. Go talk to the dry cleaner. Go talk to whatever. And they will deter, it will determine whether or not your value is aligned with their thought of your value. That's what NIL was supposed to be. So it's funny these years later that we're sitting here saying, well, you know, there's two parts of NIL. The part where you go out and market yourself and sign deals based on your name, image, and likeness. And then the other thing. It's like, <laughs> it's just so funny to me. Oh, we got a lot more texts to get to, a lot more of this conversation to try and unpack with our final segment coming up next. So we'll hit a quick break, come back, continue talking NIL as we wrap up here on a Wednesday. This is The Rush on The Ref, the home of Sooner fans. Keep it here. Back to wrap it up for good. Here on this Wednesday, it is The Rush. Parker Thune, Travis Davidson with you on the home of Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. We are talking NIL to close out the show. Spent a lot of time on that topic, on that subject throughout the day. A 405 listener hit the text line to say, you don't poison your team for a few prima donnas. And I think that pretty much sums up Oklahoma's strategy in the NIL department, as, especially as it was outlined by Jason Belzer yesterday. Of course, the CEO of Student Athlete NIL in his interview on the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast. A lot of information contained therein. To be honest, Travis, a lot of stuff that I, I was, I was kind of surprised to hear Jason say it on the record. But I think folks appreciated the transparency. And I know for a fact the Crimson and Cream Collective has seen a significant increase in membership today after he did that interview. Another 405 listener says, money can't buy a connection with the fans. This is what Brent talks about when he says transactional relationships. Personally, if it is just about which fans have the most money, then what's the point? And once again, that strikes at the heart of OU's strategy as far as NIL is concerned. Yes, they are playing the game, but they are not making it the focal point of their pursuit of student-athletes. Yeah, it's but again, since it's so new, staffs are learning as well. And I think this is not unlike other companies, uh, people in their daily lives, everything. You want to have a set of core values that you run everything through, right? You want to have a, a filter, essentially, that you pour all decisions through and say, does this align with what we stand for here at the University of Oklahoma, what I, Brent Venables, stand for as a head coach, as a man, as a father, um, as, a, as a husband? Like, does this go through that filter and come out the other side? So I think the coaching staff, the administration, everybody's trying to navigate these new waters. We uh, obviously are hoping that they, they choose correctly, uh, something that, ends up being wildly successful. But at the end of the day, Parker, we have no clue if this approach is going to be successful. But conversely, we have no clue if the, if the uh, you know, tampering by all your players is going to be successful in the long run because it's just too short of a uh, timeline right now. A listener in the 405 asks, can you compare and rank OU's NIL programs with other programs 
in the SEC and Big Ten? Are we top five, top ten? I don't think the OU fan base knows where we stand and what we as fans can do to keep our team competitive. Again, if you have not listened to the interview, I would highly recommend that you set aside an hour of your time. Maybe you're out in the workshop or just kicking back with a cup of coffee tonight. Whenever you have the space, listen to the Under the Visor podcast with Jason Belzer that dropped yesterday because any and all questions within reason that you have about NIL are likely answered over the course of that interview. And one of the things that he disclosed was that Oklahoma had a roster payroll last year of around $4 million. Now that number is increasing substantially this fall because it has to in order to keep Oklahoma competitive in the NIL sphere. The market just continues to get larger and larger and larger, and that that number ought to at least double. That I know. Uh, What Jason stated about where Oklahoma will rank in the SEC upon their membership in that conference in an official capacity on July 1st, he said Oklahoma immediately – will be in the upper half of the SEC. So he didn't put an exact number on it, but said upper half, top eight in the SEC by default. And he did emphasize it is important if you want to stabilize your team's NIL efforts year to year, just like diversifying your assets on the stock market. It helps to have thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are donating a little bit of money on a monthly basis as opposed to relying on massive gifts from donors that may or may not come and that tend to be pretty fickle in terms of when you get them and how much money they consist of. What do you think? Yeah, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be tough because I don't think it's going to be as cut and dry as where do they rank, right? Like total, Revenue, because I think a couple of those, I don't think we'll need to rank as high if we're not paying freshman guards nine hundred thousand dollars a year. <laughs> you know, like you know what I mean. Like it's it's not. It's I, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's kind of like yeah, recruiting rankings. You just want to be near the top. If you're near the top, the rest of your coaching, your culture, everything like that can take care of the rest but those those schools that are at the very tip top they may have some cultural issues coming down the pipeline some roster retention issues coming down the pipeline who knows been a fun four hours here on these airwaves this has been the rush for travis davidson i am parker thune y'all take it easy we'll talk to you again tomorrow here on the ref the home of sooner fans